Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Wayfinder Show. I'm happy to introduce you today to Lena Dubovaya. Lena is an educator, an entrepreneur, and investor. She currently serves as the director of the Kumon Learning Center in, of Reisterstown, Maryland, where she leads a team of 17 staff that helps 250 students build the skills and confidence to be successful in the modern world. She also serves as the wellness director of Money Club, where she helps companies boost employee retention and productivity by investing in their financial wellness and empowerment of their teams and runs money fundamental workshops for kids. Lena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you here too. Um, So I guess to jump in, can you just tell us a little bit about your background, upbringing, and and what that journey looked like for you to becoming this awesome entrepreneur? So I I guess I'll start way, way back. Um, My parents are from Moldova, which is part of the former Soviet Union. They moved here in 91. At that time, I was about three years old. And so I was raised by people who had to work very hard to get to where they are. And, you know, I was able to kind of see that example. Um, There was also a lot of pressure to make their move worth it, if that makes sense. Uh, So, you know, there, there was definitely a lot, a lot of weight on me to be successful. Um, The success that I think many parents see is just in the form of being a lawyer or a doctor. So me really deviating from that path, I think was one of the first things that I overcame, like not following the steps that they wanted me to, and just doing what I wanted to do, which was start, start a business. Um, I went to college. I studied psychology. I originally wanted to be a doctor and as time went on and as, as I got more experience with the world, I think that that dream faded because I don't think it was founded on real dreams. I think it was just what everybody wanted me to say. And I started to work at a lear- learning center when I was, I think, a sophomore in college. And I loved it. I mean, I loved going to work. I could not see my life without it. It was just amazing. I, I remember driving home from work and whoever I would call on my way home, because I'm like a call people on the way home kind of person, they'd be like, did you just get off work? And I'd be like, yeah, how do you know? And they're like, you're just in the best mood ever. So, you know, for me, it was a really big sign that this is what I meant to do. And this, this is what feels good. I was very lucky to have a boss who worked really hard to show me the ropes. And eventually he's like, you should start your own. And I did. Um, At that time I was 26. And I think even at like a lot of the train, training meetings, I was pretty young for starting a business, but I felt like that time is the best time just because you don't have, you don't have kids, you don't have a job, like you, you really don't have huge responsibilities to worry about. Uh, so I think I've really been an entrepreneur my, my whole life. I've been li- lucky enough to never really have to work, you know, at a cor- corporate job. Um, and so I've just kind of been 
figuring things out as time went on. Um, so I've been at Kumon for seven years now. I've had my own center. It's been really awesome. I love every moment of it. We're going on eight years and like two months. Mm-hmm. And I've been really lucky to work with some really amazing students and really amazing staff, most of which used to be my students. So it's cool to be in kids' lives for such a long time. Like I definitely stay in their lives for five to 10 years, if not longer. And then um, I started to work for Money Club about two or three years ago. So probably pre-pandemic, I was going to bring them in to teach my, my students about money and how it works and investing. And then the pandemic hit and we couldn't really run a workshop live anymore. Um, so then they started to train people on how to run it on their own. So I got trained on how to run a workshop. And then from there, I kind of made my way to being a part of the company just because I loved it so much. And I really believed in the mission. So diving back into to Kumon, what are, just so I know, what are the age ranges of the kids you're usually working with there? Three to 18. Oh, okay. So the so whole all spectrum base. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's got to be cool to have kids that are going through your program, then come up and actually become staff of yours and so you kind of mentor them as a student and then also mentor them as you know employees and who knows potential um, business owner someday just like your mentor did for you exactly that's very cool when you opened kumon i'm sure your staff wasn't 17 at that time did it just start off as a couple people or what does that look like when you first um so when i first opened i was lucky enough to i I opened five miles down the road from where i used to work so when i opened my doors i already had 30 students um rather Mm -hmm. than zero okay and so my staff was probably about i think i had four or five staff at that time Okay. And then eventually, of course, you know, we, we grew and I had to hire more. So then your growth, that really just looks like as you add more students, you just need more staff to help tutor them. Exactly. I take that. Has it been hard to find staff over the last few years? That's probably been one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. yeah. Dealing with, so most of my staff are high school aged and college aged. So trying to, first of all, like this is their first job. You have to help them understand how do you call out what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's appropriate to say to students or to parents or to each other. Um, A big thing too is how to manage their money. Like I see them buy Subway and Chick-fil-A every single day. And, you know, I don't think they're saving any of their money. So really having to train them and get them to a point where, you know, I tell them all, this isn't your, your last job. This is your first job. So I need to make sure that when you go to your next job, you're prepared and you know what to expect. But at the same time, you also have a very good understanding of what a workplace is that is positive and not toxic uh, feels like. So that if you ever find, find yourself in a place where you have a really bad work-life balance or where you're not respected, you know what that feels like right away. Oh, so you've taken it upon yourself. Like it's, it seems like it's a mission for you not to only develop your students, but also your staff. staff. Absolutely, beyond your workforce, your workplace. That's, Everybody that's... who I come in contact with, I want to develop in some way. Mm. That's great. 
And that probably stems back to, you know, you mentioned your mentor did the same for you and you're paying it forward in a way, but I'm guessing your mentor didn't do that for anybody. I'm guessing you had to come in and really provide value and be a great worker and and go above and beyond for them to want to actually pull you behind the curtain. Is that accurate? It, it, It really is. And it's also, I think for me, innately, I have this desire to work hard. Like, I, I don't think that it's something that was developed. It's just who I am at this point. Um, and I think one of the hardest things for me right now is trying to develop that same work relationship and work ethic in all of these other people. Because for me, it's like, I mean, of course, you're going to work hard. Of, of course, you're going to do as much as you can, right. you know, as fast as you can. And for them, it's like, well, what, why would I, right? Like if I can just sit and relax, why wouldn't I? So I think it's, it's hard to develop people who are not like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure some of your work as it comes from your upbringing in your, in your household, as you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And I'm I'm wondering, um, you're, you're, uh, the, the Kuman, I mean, the, the place you worked at before your Kuman, was that a Kuman as well? It was. It was. Okay. So uh, I'm wondering, you're 26 years old. You want to start your own, right? And you were clearly, you had saved up enough from working at Kumon to just write a check to open a, a franchise right away or no. So I, I was very strategic in the way that I did it. Um, the franchise here is very different where you don't need to cut a big check in order mm-hmm. to start a franchise. I think the franchise fee at that time was a thousand dollars. Oh, but oh, wow what you had to pay for was the build out. Mm. And so they provided all of the furniture you would need to pay for the build out. The strategic side of things came in where I, I found a space that was what's called op- open shell. So they haven't built it out yet. Um, so they basically gave you an allowance for the build out for you to do it however you'd like. Anything that you do above and beyond that. So for example, plumbing, or um, if you wanted premium carpet or premium, whatever else you, you would have to pay for on top of that. You could also roll that into your lease. So I was very strategic in finding a place in making sure that I wouldn't have to pay as much out of pocket. And I think out of pocket total, I think it was like 10,000. Wow. Very smart. That's great. That's great. So you had so to also that, learn to manage the trades and contracting as well as just how to open a business and get one. But also all, sign, all sign a lease, how to read a lease, yeah. how to, what am I agreeing to? What's going to happen in the future? Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kudos to you for figuring that all out for sure. Thank you. It was, <laughs> so we it was kinda, definitely a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. So we, we kind of glossed over the, the point where you were raised in this immigrant, hardworking family, and then then you went to college and then decided to open. I'm sure, based on what you said earlier, that there was a, probably a couple difficult conversations you had with your parents when you decided not to be a lawyer and a doctor, and you said, hey, I'm going to stop going to college, or, or I'm going to finish college maybe, but I'm going to open this business instead of becoming a doctor. So what did, what did that look like? And was there a lot of pushback? There was a lot of pushback. Yeah. Um, there, there was a lot of negotiation too on their end where it was, well, how about you do nursing? And then once you have a career at that point, you'll start a business. And 
I think I went through the motions and applied and I like my heart was not in it at all. I barely like tried to apply. I applied to one school. Um, I applied as late as possible. So um, when I didn't get in, my parents were upset and I was like, great, this just means that I can open up my center. So um, I think a big part of it was I didn't want to let them down and I still feel that way. You know, it's, it's, it's hard when you have people who give everything to give you a life that's beautiful and fun. Like we, we traveled a lot as a family. We're very close. We're still very close. And it felt like I was betraying them to some extent by choosing something that didn't necessarily make them proud. And I don't think they actually believed in the mission or how good I am at what I do until I opened and I forced them to come in and watch. And I think only at that point they were like, oh, this is why you want to do this. Wow. Like I never imagined you being so great with kids. I never, I never thought that this is what it would look like. So that, that, the point of acceptance, I don't think came for a very long time. And I just kind of said, like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do, which was really hard to do as a, as a kid. I bet. And I think it was probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably also hard to actually bring them in. You were probably nervous as heck that day that uh, they wouldn't approve as you thought they would. I don't think I was nervous. I, okay. I mean, I really, really loved what I did and I, I had values where it's important to me to love what I do. Like that was the most important thing to me, aside from trying to make a profit and all of that, all of that's great. But I really, really wanted to live a life where I'm not working just to pay the bills. I'm working because I genuinely get to do what I love and make a difference and make some sort of impact. And so I knew that that's what was happening. And that really gave me solace in the choices that I made, regardless of how they look to other people. That is great. So now that they've seen this, they're fully on board and they, they don't give you crap about being a doctor anymore. There's, there's still, <laughs> you know, jokes <laughs> there, but yeah, I think to, to the, to the biggest part, like, I think at this point, you know, they're fine with it. Do you have any siblings, cool. Lena? I have a half brother, but, um, we didn't, we, we weren't raised at the same time or same place. Like he still lived back in Russia. Um, so we didn't really grow up together. So only child life for me. (laughs) Gotcha. Got it. Uh, You know, I'm always fascinated as a son of immigrants myself, I, you know, how, how immigrant enclaves develop and, and, and move along. And and I know I'm familiar with Reisestown. Uh, I think that Northwest corner of, of, Baltimore County is actually a, um, a very Eastern European, right? You have a lot of Russian uh, enclaves there. Is that what drove, is that what brought you there? Um, um, I believe have- the way that it worked was we received religious asylum because my father was Jewish. Okay. And in order for you to come here, you needed to have some sort of sponsor. Yeah. And at that time, a distant relative had already resided here. Yeah. So as long as he was able to show that he would be able to support us for a couple months. Um, that's why we, we came here. And, and I'm sure immediately they had community there. Is that right? Yes. right. Yeah. I'm curious again, is uh, the, 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 going back to the pressures that, you know, your, your family had or all that. So now you, you've proven yourself, right? Like you're a successful entrepreneur. You, you're, you're happy in what you do. 
sometimes maybe there's still jokes that happen or all that. But um, and, and and I make an assumption here because I know being again son of immigrants, like we we have very big families that they come and the the word spreads and all that. And usually when one person breaks that mold, right? They they kind of um, what's you know make it easier for others to do um, to break the mold as well. So you probably is that a correct assumption with your community? Like, were you, is it easier for cousins and other people uh, in your community to not have to go and be doctors and lawyers and engineers and <laughs> the traditional paths? To some extent, maybe. Um, I think I, what I really see a difference is, is when I talk to my students, uh, most of my students also are foreign born. And so mm -hmm. they have the same experience that I have. And they said, oh, I'm in college. I really want to make my parents proud. They told me that I should be a doctor or an engineer, but I really, really love computer science. I really, really love mm -hmm. design. I really, really love marketing. And so I just share with them my story and how at the, at the end of it all, I really wanted to do what I loved and my parents eventually did understand. And I know it feels like that they never will, but they will. So, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, it comes from a place of fear and care. It's not like they're bad people or they're horrible and it's my, my way or the highway and they're stubborn. It's really just that your parents care about you so much and they're afraid that, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to be here and you're going to have to struggle like, like they did because they've struggled. So, I understand where it comes from. And I think once you can voice that to other people, they start to see too that it's coming from a good place, but that doesn't mean that that's the only option. So I think I've been able to break, break the mold more with some of the students that I've worked with more than let's say other people in the, in the, in, in the Russian speaking area. Or even Have you ever been put in a situation, you know, either, by way of your students or or from the parents where you kind of had to tell the parents about your story in a way to kind of convince them that, hey, your kid just is trying to follow a path similar to mine. It, it can be done. I would never say similar to mine because then they start to get too far, too far into it. But um, yes, that that is something that I have to talk about often. A lot of times parents get in the way of their kids, uh, not just in this is what I want for you, but just kind of thinking of their success as like the child's success being the parents. Does that make sense? Um, so they, they own the success of their children and push them to levels that maybe aren't helpful or healthy or normal. So a lot of times I have to speak up for, for, for the students to let the parents see what they're doing because you're so blinded by, I just want what's best for my child that you sometimes don't see what's actually going on. So yeah. these interactions, obviously you work with kids and parents one way or another on a daily basis, you know, I'm going to ask this question selfishly as a father to, uh, you know, five-year-old and an eight-year-old currently myself. I mean, is, is there any, any tips or advice or anything that you, you genuinely see parents doing uh quote unquote wrong or, or that that you you want to share with the audience so i mentioned to you i think a while back i'm write, writing a book and this mm -hmm. is what my book is going to be about stories that i've had where i feel like from an outside point of view you can really see that this is hurting the students but when you're so far in it you can't tell 
Some of those things are parents like to compare how their kids are doing in, in front of them. Like if their younger child is not doing so well or um, is having a hard time with something, well, I never had this experience with my older child. And they're doing it a lot of times because they're just embarrassed that their child is having a hard time. So they're trying to give you proof that I'm not a bad parent. Um, but to the kid, it is so demeaning and it is so hard to deal with. And it creates this sense of resentment, maybe, mm-hmm. um, either towards the parents or towards the other sibling. And it's just not healthy and not great. And there's really nothing good that comes out of trying to compare your, your kids. We're all different. I know that the, you know, most of them have, have the same genes. Like you, you even have twins and they're completely different. So there's, there's no real gain in having to compare them. Um, what else? A lot of, there's a lot of, you know, I, I need you to be the best because I'm the best. And everybody learns at their own pace. Everybody does their own thing at their own pace. Just really getting to know your child, I think, is the biggest gift you can give them. And being proud of who they are, whether it be they're really good at soccer and being really proud of that without trying to put your own dreams on them, like realizing that they're their own person. Yeah, that's great advice. And you're right. I mean, I think so many of us as parents, I mean, it's kind of hard to overcome, especially when your first child, I found overcome that ego of like constantly, like you have this chip on your shoulder, like I'm a good parent, I swear, because you're trying to figure out if you really are. And really you're, we're all just figuring it out, right. You're just trying to become that great parent. And it's tough to kind of remove that ego and just, just realize that, Hey man, your kid doesn't walk till doing the 17 months. It doesn't yeah. matter. Your, your kid's going to walk eventually. It's fine. And you know, all of those little milestones that first time parents tend to stress over it just it's just so silly when you look back at it and i'm sure too there's a lot of pressure from other parents too right like they're like oh well my sure. child blah 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 which yeah. you know that's great but everybody's different yeah and you got to remember too these parents are only talking about the good things like yeah their kid walked at 10 months but their kid also can't speak you know <laughs> whatever whatever it may What's be the bed? Like, yeah you're, whatever you're hearing all the highlights yeah. and none exactly. of the other stuff and if you're highlight so if you're not hitting all of the highlights at the same time it's like oh no am i a bad parent and it's just it's just you know i try to tell my friends that are going through it for the first time you just got to just got to relax it's all going to work out but yeah thank you for sharing that Yeah, I I think it's really important that the point about the comparison and trying to avoid that, it's not just as parents, like I got two daughters and yeah, it's really hard not to, we just got another dog. I we're constantly comparing, you know, one dog to the first one we've had. So it's been perfect. And, you know, and uh, employees, you know, constantly, if you have more than one, you're comparing one to the other. It's just, it's really hard not to do that. What, what are some good like what are some ways to be conscious of that and to try and not compare and, and you know, I think, overlook that? I think it's human nature to right. compare. I think it's okay sure. to compare, but I think that the problem is when you say it out loud in front of your, your kids yeah, um, and they hear the disappointment or they hear that they're not the same as their older brother or sister. Um, I think that's where it turns toxic. So it's okay to compare. I just think that, you know, maybe be mindful of what you say in, in front of your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Talk a little bit about money club. 
that's yeah. right. what, what is Absolutely. money club and what are you doing with that? So it's a twofold type thing. Um, on one hand, we work with companies and we run a workshop or a series of workshops to ed- educate the, the employees about uh, 401ks, um, investing, what else? Money, how it works, credit, credit scores, all of the things that we wish we learned in school that we never did. Um, when you have a really, really good boss who thinks that it's really important to teach them to help the company grow too, is when you when you really see a big payoff. Uh, the other thing too, because it's it's a huge investment in your staff. I think what's been really interesting is the pushback that we've gotten when we reach out to a company. You either have one 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 response of a boss being like, "This sounds amazing, absolutely, of course, I want to teach them about it," or you have, "Are you going to teach my my staff to quit?" Like it's mm-hmm. coming from a fear place. Um, so that's one side of things. The other side of things is we run wor- workshops for kids too that are really game based. So. Um, it's a series of games to learn about earning, to learn about saving, to learn about also investing, and they have a lot of fun with it. And then hopefully eventually can learn more as they, as they age. And this is a, a nonprofit organization? No, it's or, for profit. It's for profit. Okay. And, and it's, is it nationwide or? So right. in what way? Like, did you did you start this organization? So no, uh, a guy named Aaron Vel- Velke started it. Um, he's the CEO, but he's from this area. But we right. run wor- workshops all around the nation since yeah. it's on Zoom. So if so someone just, wanted to find out more about Money Club, is there is there a website we could direct? We are moneyclub.com. That's easy enough. Yeah. <laughs> so what else? So you're you. You started a business now very successful and involved with Money Club. You're writing a book. What are I'm what trying are, to see what else. I'm also yeah. toying around with the idea of starting a school. Wow. Uh, so I'm not really sure how that's gonna go or where where that's gonna go, but definitely in the process of thinking about what it would look like. Okay. Um I just feel like because what I do is after school mostly. I feel like I'm always trying to compete with the school system who a lot of times, um, well, let's go back to one of my core, core values. What I see a lot of times is students innately really love to learn. They have a thirst for knowledge and it's like this spark in them where they are just so excited to learn. After many years in the school system, what happens a lot of times is that spark is gone. And they no longer have this excitement around learning. It turns into a drag based on, you know, they have bad teachers or they have bad experiences or they feel stupid among their peers, whatever it is, that spark leaves. And it's very, very hard to bring it back. It's possible. It's just very hard. And so I feel like I'm always fighting this uphill battle of students who have kind of lost their faith in learning and I'm trying to bring it back. So rather than doing just things at after school, I would love to create some place where they could be to learn the skills that entrepreneurs need, right? So for example, problem solving, for example, speaking in public, whatever it is, you know, 
there needs to be a place where they're not just following directions and they're able to kind of be creative and think outside the box and chase the things that they find really interesting. Because one other thing too is if we're learning about, I don't know, let's say we're learning about Russia. Me coming from an area near there, I was always, I, I always wanted to, to learn more. But if the school says that the unit's over, we're done and we have to move on to learning about China. So I felt like we, we get to a point where if I want to learn more, I should have the, I, I should have the time and the space to dive into topics that I find really, really interesting um, without having to move on just because that's the timeline. Is there a model like that out there that you've already found? So there's a model that I've looked into called Acton Academy. I am still trying to learn what specifically they do and whether or not one of one of the concerns that I have is whether or not their math and reading parts are um, so mo most of it is done through Khan Academy. I want to make sure that that's good enough for students to have a really good found foundational um, knowledge and understanding of those skills because you need them for the real world, any college that you go to. Uh, but also they do a lot of entrepreneurial type things, which I think is super amazing. Right. Yeah, that's becoming a very popular model right now. I understand. Yeah. How about how about some of the others like... Uh that been around for a little bit that also, I, I think, touch upon some of those, but maybe not with the entrepreneurial piece or as in depth, like I'm thinking Montessori or Waldorf. So, yeah, or, so there's Mon yeah. Montessori. From the experience that I've had, it depends on um, how the school runs. So I've had some, some students who do very, very well, and I've had some who don't do so well with that model, just because if you have the choice between what you'd like to study, a lot of them will... Um, err on the side of caution and never really want to move up. So I've seen students get stuck on the same skills for a long time just because they find that it's easy and enjoyable without ever challenging themselves. So that's why I've kind of been, but it, it works really, really well if they're like pre-K through grade one or two, like for the, for the young, young kids, that model works amazingly where they get to choose what they'd like to do that day and how, how they'd like to learn. So if a parent wanted to explore one of these, I mean, let's call it alternative learning, if you will, whether that's and correct that's or not. If, if I'm moving somewhere and I'm thinking about it, rolling my kid in an Acton Academy. Now, obviously, how that Acton Academy operates is probably going to vary depending on who owns it, who runs it, who the guides are, things of that nature. I mean, how would a parent go about vetting that to make sure that they are getting the appropriate math and reading and writing, which I think the three of us all agree are very important. Um, you know, it, what would you suggest the parent do to look at that a little closer? So there's lots of things that you can ask. You can ask how current students are doing, uh, whether they've gone to college, how they got into college. Did they have a hard time on, on the uh, uh, SAT, for example? Um, although that's going to move later on, it will no longer be required in a couple of years. Uh, but you know, they, they can look and see how students are performing, but also what they've been able to accomplish. They can ask about the rigor of the math and the reading. My worry isn't necessarily about the rigor. My worry is about the retention because I find that online learning means students are not retaining a lot of the, a lot of the things that they learn. 
So are there options to, if my child learns best on paper, is there a paper option? Are there ways to get them to recall some of the things that they've, they've, they've learned? Those are the things that I'd ask. Um, it's also a big question of, is your child able to self-learn? Because a lot of these places, when you have a guide, you don't have a teacher. And students are very used to being taught. And that's what I see every day here where, you know, when I tell them that you need to learn this on your own and you, you have to follow the example, they get very, very nervous and very scared because they're not used to failing. They're not used to getting things wrong. They're not used to trying to learn it on their own. And when you turn it into a fun game, um, like, hey, I want you to try this as a puzzle. What's, what's the next question? then they tend to be more open-minded, but it also depends on the age at which you're, you're starting that type of system. Because again, if you're used to going to a school and you're now in ninth grade and all you know is being spoon-fed information, moving over to something where you need to self-learn, that's a skill of its own. So it's a really big, not only is, is the school a good school, but is the school a good fit for my child as they are right now? So what are your thoughts on, like, let's say you, you take your child to your new school or the Acton Academy or one of these things, and you find out after two or three years, it's just not a good fit. I mean, is it easy for them to assimilate back into a normal school system? Hopefully. Yeah. So <laughs> once, once you've learned how to self-learn, I think you're okay anywhere, just because that skill itself is like the whole phrase, if you teach a man if you give a man a fish, he has a fish, he, he can eat for a day. If you teach a man to, to fish, he, he can eat for the rest of his life. Once you learn how to self-learn, you're good wherever you go because the teachers you have don't matter just because you're able to learn whatever it is that you'd like. You know, Lena, I'm wondering with the school you have an idea for here uh, in starting, would you, would you make it a private or a public school? Private. It'd be private. Okay. Why? You would have to. Um, you wouldn't be able to get funding for anything from the government. They would be. You would, there would be too many hoops and rules and things like that. What about a charter school? I've thought about it. There's still a lot of um, rules that you need to follow. Sure. So you know, it it's still very hard to follow all of the rules and create the vision that I would like. Gotcha. I only ask because, I, as, as I mentioned, I've lived in Baltimore for 10 years and we lived in Baltimore City. My kids actually started in public schooling in Baltimore City, which we I'm know. From. OK, <laughs> so but honestly, we started when my daughter was in preschool. I started the, the lady who eventually went on to start the Baltimore Montessori. Mm -hmm. um, we would go to an after school program with her, like a preschool program, and then it eventually that was became part of the Baltimore Montessori school. And uh, we were founding parents there. And, um, and there was, there was a lot of money for that at the time. I don't know if there still is because I haven't been in touch, but there was a lot of funding um, from the city. They really were, uh, they, they were very supportive of innovative solutions, uh, alternative education solutions there for, if you know, Baltimore, you know, it's it's obvious why, but there, there were there were a lot of good. Um, I think there were a lot of good schools that came out of Baltimore City, 
uh, that were very innovative because of that. And I, I know some of them are still around. So I just, that's why I was wondering. I mean, they, they gave us buildings, as you know, there's no shortage of vacant buildings in Baltimore City. So <laughs> they uh, they gave us a, a really great building, actually, in uh, the Greenmount West neighborhood, mm-hmm. which I don't know, I've heard it's actually become a pretty decent neighborhood now, but it wasn't back then. And the fathers would go early and clean up before school started so the kids wouldn't see the things you would see in the neighborhood at the time, but it provided a great environment for them. And I just, I suspect that that kind of support might still be available in, in Baltimore. Uh, but I'm, I don't know for sure. I'm sure it is to some extent. I also just am very weary of getting involved with some of the politics of things here. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'd rather just steer clear and, you know. Be able to do your own thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that okay. makes complete sense. If you want to go do this yeah. thing, you want to be able to have the full freedom to do it the way you want it and not feel like you're you're neutered or your wings are clipped in, in some way and you kind of get this half-assed, you know, hybrid version of what you want versus what, exactly. what's already in place. So I, I like that. So I guess if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about your book. So you're going to write a book. Where are you at? What's it about? What's What's the reason for writing it? Where am I at and what's the reason? So the reason for writing it is I feel like I've learned a lot in my role in education. And I've learned a lot in the side of running a business and the side of developing young minds and the side like, so I I feel like I have a lot to share. I also just feel like this is my ode to education. And I feel like it would be a valuable read, not just for students and not just for parents, but also for those who are training young, young minds. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of usefulness, uh, for anybody who has a child or works with kids or kids themselves. Where I'm at right now is I am still writing stories about experiences that I've had. Um, eventually I'm going to get to a point probably in the next few weeks where I'm going to be coming up with the themes that all of them have, you know, share, uh, so that I can find a way to create like chat chapters and things like that. So we're, we're still in the right writing phase of things. Um, but it's been really cool to try and remember all of the experiences that I've had and then write them down into a way that, uh, makes sense and a way that's impactful. That's great. Do you have a, a timeline in mind on when, when you'd want to have this completed? Hopefully by the end of the year. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. It's ambitious. So when you're not sure. developing young minds and writing books, what uh, what are you what are you doing for fun? I'm a really big gym rat. Okay. Uh, nice. I love to box. I love to oh. lift. What else do I do? I read a lot. I love to listen to music. Food, food is always good. <laughs> food is great. And I love to travel. It's my most favorite thing. What's next? What's next in my Travels. list? Travel. Yeah. Uh, I have a trip to Jamaica coming up. Oh, nice. Um, probably Dubai again this year, oh. which is a beautiful place if, if you've never been. Yeah. Nothing else really scheduled so far, but I'm sure I will take a bunch of trips. Great. Heck yeah. That's awesome. It's the best. So we'd like to, near the end of the show, we have a few questions we like to ask everybody. We kind of call our, our rapid fire round. Um, so we'll jump into that if you don't mind here. Yeah. Um, 
So what is one hack that you use in your daily life? Could be an app or a routine, anything of that nature. Probably Instacart. Instacart. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely a hack. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a huge hack when you, yeah. when you eventually get to a point where you're like, you know what, my time is worth more than the whole process of going food shopping and driving and all of these other things. Yeah. So that's my hack. Huh. Love it. That is a good one. We were doing that for a while. Now my wife just will order Amazon, the Whole Foods, mm-hmm. whatever, for, for even like, you know, she needs lettuce, just one thing. So yeah, <laughs> it's easy, it's convenient. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but I kind of miss the old Instacart. Yeah, <laughs> actually doing that. I enjoyed waiting for it. Uh, what about a favorite? So uh, it could be a book, a movie, a podcast, just something you really enjoy. Uh, um so probably a book um the gap in the gain is one that i read recently fantastic book book, Mm -hmm. especially for anybody trying to create anything and you know especially for on entrepreneurs fantastic book that's dan kennedy uh dan sullivan dan sullivan that's right and ben hardy yeah and ben hardy Hardy. yep great book. yeah it's a phenomenal book so if you could tell your 25-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Um, mind who you surround yourself with. Oh. I think the biggest thing we don't think about is the people around us can either drag us down or bring us up. And so I think my 25-year-old self didn't really think about that and only wanted to fit in. Hmm. And as a, as a product of that, the people who were around me never really dreamed and never really wanted to create anything so that's great so i imagine you you probably spend time and money and effort you know building your network of of people that that inspire you still that's still a work work in progress for sure but yes absolutely Yeah. yeah it's important what do you think uh keeps people from being happy it's a tough question <laughs> for rapid fire. Yeah. Um, so I think people usually have some idea of what they want in their lives. And I think that they can, they can envision the life that they want where they would be happy. But I think what holds them back are the stories that they tell themselves, why I can't be that person. You know, oh, I'd love to quit my job, but I don't know how I'm going to make money or, Oh, I'd love to be a person who travels, you know, but that's not me. And so there's this lack of identifying with that person who you want to be by making excuses because you just, you don't believe that you could be that person. So true. Make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Lena, if anybody wants to know any more about you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can send me an email, Lena Dubo, L-E-N-A-D-U-B-O at gmail.com. It's the same name on Instagram, um, TikTok as well. I think that's what the kids use now. I don't know. <laughs> it isn't yeah, you're talking to two old guys here, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We're still on MySpace, Lena. So. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. That's pre-Facebook for everybody. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, well, Lena, thank you so much. It's been really great getting to know you. You're doing some amazing things. Thank you for what you're doing for society, uh, especially 
in an area like Baltimore, which I know very well, it needs people like you to really, uh, you know, educate those young minds and and change it for the better because it is a, it is a amazing, wonderful place with a ton of potential, and it just needs people like you to make it happen. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.